Well, if you've, if you've been with us this weekend or if you've been watching online for the live stream, um, you'll be familiar with our speaker today. Uh, very grateful for this man. Very grateful that he even said he would come. So that's good. Uh, too often, you don't, you don't get superstars that will come to your church, do you? Is that right? Am I saying too much? Yes, I am. Okay, I'm saying too much. Never mind. So if you would, give him a warm welcome, please, Dr. Jody Dillow. I love the way that you guys started the service. That music was fantastic. It was just uplifting and drew my heart to the Lord. Is this, is this guy on? Okay, so you guys can hear me and everything. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about something very important to all of us. And that is finishing well. Uh, a good uh, friend of mine, Paul Stanley, did an analysis of uh, and Bobby Clinton. They went through the entire Bible to see if they could discern from the data available what percentage of the Christians or the believers in the Bible finished well. What do you think their conclusion was? 17%. So this is a very uh, important issue for all of us. And I want to address this from the life of the Apostle Paul. A number of years ago, I was on a train down to a city in Mexico where I was going to speak at, I think it was a student conference. I, actually, my memory's bad. I'm 80, so give me a break here. But uh, I, uh, it was really a, a great conference. But on the train, there was a man there who was a security policeman at Checkpoint Charlie. Now, this is the dividing point between East and West Berlin during the communist era. And to go from one side to the other, uh, the main point was you had to clear security through Checkpoint Charlie. So he was a policeman there. And a man came up, and he seemed unusually nervous. So that, that creates a little suspicion. And uh, at any rate, they checked his papers and the more they waded through his papers, the more agitated this man became. And I think he, apparently he realized that the game was up, that they were on to him. So he broke and he started running down the barbed wire fence. At this point, the, all, the, the physical wall had not been completed, so there was just a barbed wire fence in vast sections of it. And as soon as he did that, the uh, uh, Western... Military police shouted, halt, stop, and he didn't stop. He kept going, and finally, he, he, out of desperation, he started clawing his way over that barbed wire fence. And as he did it, the military police rifled his body with bullets, and he fell back on the ground. This man that I was talking to was a military policeman there, and he was one of the first ones to get to this uh, individual who had just been shot. And as he rolled him over, 
the wounded man looked in my acquaintance's face with hatred in his eyes. And he said, I'm dying for communism. What are you living for? Well, this uh, got this military police, and then he died. This got the military policeman to think about that. What am I living for? And over a period of years, uh, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And as he was telling me the story, I thought, boy, that is incredible that uh, a man would die for a falsehood. And yet so many Christians, 17% apparently in the Bible, uh, that's all that finish well. Now, those numbers could be not accurate because that's just based upon available data. There's a lot of, a lot of verses about or a lot of things that were not said about these people. But at any rate, it was an interesting statistic. And they also said Bobby Clinton and Paul Stanley, they were the ones that uh, brought this to my attention. They actually surveyed a lot of Christians. And they found, I can't remember the number, but they found pretty discouraging numbers of people who started well, but didn't, didn't finish. So, we're going to talk this morning about the ingredients of finishing well. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's final words uh, in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was the last book he wrote. And shortly after writing, we're not sure how short, could a couple weeks, couple months, he was beheaded at Rome under Nero. So it's very significant here. We're reading the last words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I've got to figure out how to use their computer gimmick here. Let me see. Uh, okay. Yeah. It works. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Paul finished his life in this horrible prison. It's called the Mamertine Prison. Uh, I've been in it, not as a... But it, it's under the streets of Rome. And I remember we went into this thing to see where the apostle spent his last days. And you go down on a, a ladder, and it's cold, it's dark... And uh, it's a horrible, horrible place to die. But this is where he spent his last days. And as he writes, young Timothy is a man that he, a young man that he led to Jesus, uh, and was now responsible for the church in Ephesus. He says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering." Notice he knows this is, this is the end. And the time of my departure has come. Well, what's a departure? It's kind of an interesting word. It, this same word was used of a sailor who departed on a ship. It was used of the unleashing of the ropes uh, that bound the ship to the shore. And then the ship, when the ship took off, the same word was used for a departure. And it's appropriate for the apostle because this was to be his final sailing, his final trip. And he knows it. The ship has left 
And he is on his way to meet the Lord Jesus. But it was also a sacrificial word. The pagans used it. When the sacrifice was over, in fact, the Jews used it. When the sacrifices were over, uh, they would say that sin had departed. Pretty interesting. So Paul, who knows if he's, been, he, if he's thinking these analogies, but it's kind of interesting. Also, it was a soldier's word. When the battle was over and the victory had been won, they said, strike the tents. That's what we say today. <laughs> and that meant uh, depart from the battlefield as victors. And the apostle is about to depart the battlefield as a victor. He's lived his life well. It was also a prisoner's word. And of course, Paul's a prisoner right now. Uh, and it meant simply that when the, 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 the uh, gate was open, or the prison cell was opened, the prisoner departed. They used this same word. And finally, it was a philosopher's word. Uh, and it comes from this thing you probably heard but didn't understand, at least I didn't, the Gordian knot. And uh, supposedly, the person who could undo this knot uh, would receive high honors and all kinds of uh, wealth and privileges. And many had tried, and nobody could. Then Alexander came along, Alexander the Great. So he looks at this knot and he says, I'm going to undo it. And after struggling for some time, he said, forget this. And he took a sword and just cut it. So this is the, he cut the Gordian knot. That is, he untangled the, the mess. Well, the point here was that uh, philosophers use this term for the unraveling of difficult and thorny problems. We have problems that are difficult to explain. Probably one of the biggest among Christians is the problem of suffering. Why did God allow this to happen to me? And if he's a loving God, why didn't he come in and answer my prayer? You know, David gets really upset with the Lord in the Old Testament. I think that gives me justification for, you know letting my feelings out as well. David says, wake up! Uh, how long are you going to tolerate this situation? Why don't you come? Why don't you answer my prayers? I mean, all this is in the Psalms, you know. But what happens in each of these Psalms, David says, yet, or but. And he turns to faith. He knows who God is. He knows he's sovereign. He knows he has a purpose for everything. But I'm telling you, when I get to heaven, the first thing I want to do is get an appointment with the Apostle Paul. I got questions on predestination. If, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't think it is the way it's usually taught. Uh, I've got questions about uh, the problem of suffering. Uh, I, got, I got all kinds of theological questions. I'm kind of a nerd, so this stuff bothers me. Most of you probably are not nerds. Uh, uh, Jeremy's kind of a nerd. 
you guys know, huh? <laughs> and uh, so at any rate, I have all kinds of unanswered questions, and it's just so wonderful to know that one day I will understand fully, Paul says, and all these doubts and questions will be resolved. So I look forward to that day. Now, what was the Paul? What was the Apostle Paul living for? Well, <clears throat> uh, he says there were three things: I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, and I've kept the faith. Let's see, am I doing this right? Yeah, okay. Uh, <clears throat> so he lived with a larger purpose. In life, I remember when I was a new Christian, I read a book by what's his name, uh, Victor Frankel. He he had spent time in he was either Auschwitz or Buchenwald, I can't remember which one. And he was noticing a difference in people who had a faith of God, and that would include Jewish people as well as Christian people. They seemed to handle the trials of the prison camp better. They seem to have, on average, a, a better attitude. And he finally wrote a book about this, and he developed a uh, method of therapy for people. He called it logotherapy. And what it was, his, his thesis was that one of the reasons people have so much trouble in life is that they don't have a purpose, an overarching larger purpose. Uh, so the whole, this whole book was addressed to that issue and he, uh, in his counseling approach. Well, Paul said that he completed his mission. He says, I have fought the good fight. And as a result, he's a winning example. He finished his course and he begins to wind up his final appeal. There's no uh, theory here. The, you know, the, the apostle had suffered greatly for the Lord, yet he had persevered through incredible hardship. He was stoned. He was whipped uh, 39 times. Uh, he was shipwrecked. Uh, he spent many days on, you know, desert roads, thirsty and attacked by thieves. He's an amazing man. And uh, so when he talks about a good fight, this is not theoretical to him. He has fought valiantly to continue to trust God and persevere in God's larger purpose for his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. So as he surveys his life and he reflects on what he's lived for, he can look back with confidence and say to Timothy, a young man who knows him well, who Paul led to Jesus, discipled him, and then put him in charge of the church at Ephesus, he can say, I have done it. I fought the fight. I finished my course and I kept the faith. Now, all of us, we have fights to, to fight. It may be bitterness. 
there's a young lady in our neighborhood uh, named Shannon. And she's been, she's had MS for 30 years. And <clears throat> they moved to Colorado Springs and early on the first night or week into their time here, her husband says, I'm tired of caring for you. I'm going to leave. So the guy leaves his wife who can't drive and goes up and marries another woman that he'd been having an affair with. Now, that's, that's just inconceivable to me. Extreme self-centeredness. Well, she has responded without bitterness. She struggled with it. But now if you talk to her, nope, she's given it to the Lord, and she's free from bitterness, and she's actually forgiven the guy. Not just intellectually, but emotionally. Because this is what the Lord wanted. I have finished the course. I'm going to give you a little uh, interesting to me <laughs> background of this course. It's the Dramas, and it was the central, uh, most important race of the kind of the Olympic Games. It was the Isthmian Games, which is held on the Isthmus of Corinth uh, in Greece. And it was, I can't remember, I think it was every couple of years. So the race course was uh, the central, central item. So he's finished his race, is basically what he's saying. It's interesting that uh, I read through some of the statistics, kind of wondering, how, how far did these guys jump? How fast did they run? What did the records say? And I came across this one thing that said... Uh, the, the record for the broad jump, this is, you know, standing still and jumping, was 45 feet. Now that just tells you that that's a lie. <laughs> that, that, that these records are not always accurate. I mean, who could do that but, you know, Clark Kent. <laughs> and uh, I finished the course. Uh, Okay, yeah. the goal of that course was a square pillar. Did I have that up there? Yeah. Whoa, what happened? What did I do? <laughs> These computers. What did you do? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> He's not only a theological nerd, he is a computer nerd. <laughs> Okay, this is the race course at Isthmia. Uh, I was there and took these pictures back in, I think it was 1974. We went on a, a tour of Bible lands with one of my professors. And uh, <coughs> yeah, there's, there's the, okay, there's the race course at, at Isthmia. Um, this is the, uh, uh, the gymnasium. Actually, yeah, no, it's the locker room. It's all wrecked down in little pieces. I, you can't really tell it was the locker room. Uh, <clears throat> there's the goal, the Victor's Monument. And uh, so Paul says he runs in such a way as not without aim, not beating the air. Apparently the way they boxed in those days is they had iron-studded boxing gloves that were really heavy. 
instead of our like this, it was kind of these big haymakers swinging around. Of course, if you got clocked by one of those, you know, you were history. Uh, but it was, in other words, he, he lived with purpose, not beating the air. He had a broader purpose in life. And he kept on believing. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm not coordinating well here. He said he runs such a way, not without aim. Okay, I, I get it. And I myself will not be qualified. And then finally, he says, he kept on believing. Uh, he says that he fought the fight, finished the course, and I have kept the faith. Probably the, uh, a point could be made here about the Greek construction, which probably suggests something like, I kept it in the past, and I've kept it up to the present day. In other words, I've kept on believing. In the midst of all of the uh, struggles, the conflicts, the pain, the rejection that he experienced, he kept on trusting God. Now that would be a wonderful thing for me to be able to say at the end of my life. And I can tell you there are times when I wasn't doing that. I was complaining. But to be able to look back and tell your closest disciple that you have done that and say it with a clear conscience to someone who knows you intimately, that's impressive. So in the future, there is laid up for me... Okay, I finally got it figured out. (laughs) In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, to all who have lived their lives in view of his return and how their lives will be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this crown of righteousness, there's different interpretations of this. One of the ones that I don't think fits the context well is that it refers to justification. In other words, it refers to salvation. And uh, the crown, it's righteousness is the justifying righteousness of Jesus the Christ, which comes to us freely uh, by faith alone. But... This crown was awarded to him because of works, a faithful life. He fought a fight. He finished his course. He kept on trusting God. So this is not the crown of salvation. It's the crown given to a life well lived. And it's a righteous crown. It's just. Now, here's the Apostle Paul. He's wasting away in a Roman prison. And, one, and he's going to stand, and he is standing, has stood before an unjust judge. And he's receiving an unjust penalty. But one day he says, I'm going to stand before the only judge that matters. And that judge is going to give me a crown.
crown of righteousness, of victory, of a life well lived. I want that crown. There's two words for crown. One means a king, a royal's crown, uh, which is passed on by inheritance. The other one is the stephanos. It's the crown awarded to a, a victor in the Olympic Games or a general uh, who's just defeated the enemy. Uh, and that's the one he's talking about here. Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed. Actually, that's a pretty interesting word. It means paid back. It, it's a, actually a, sometimes is a monetary term. For his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, which I means, think means awesome reverence, uh, we persuade, not, not being afraid, uh, we persuade men. And his allusion here is to the so-called Bema seat. This was where the judge at the Isthmian Games would distribute the rewards or where prisoners appeared and the judge would pass their, his, his judgment, his verdict on their crime. So I thought well, it'd be nice to get a picture of that thing since Paul was probably thinking about it. So I'm sure you've been greatly edified by seeing that. But Okay, what was Paul living for? Well, he says, first of all, he's fought the good fight. And that probably relates, this crown of, of righteousness is honor. It's kind of like, well done, good and faithful servant. But he also completed his course. And this refers to his service for the Lord, his mission in life. He did it. And at the end, he can look back and say, I completed it. And as a result of that, Paul will have opportunities, in fact, more opportunities, the Bible says, in heaven to serve God. You've heard about five cities and ten cities and all this stuff and co-heir with Jesus. So one day, Paul, because of the life he's lived, will have greater opportunities to serve Christ in eternity future. And he kept on believing. Now, that kind of a faith brings one intimately in contact with God. Those who persevere uh, in faith receive what Paul calls the crown of life. And that crown is a richer personal experience of Jesus. In other words, as we choose to trust God in the midst of difficulty and trust and uh, pain, uh, God works something in our heart. So it's persevering faith. He kept on believing. Well, we're back to the Mamertine prison. Uh, I'd like to read something from a famous church historian, 
I've got his uh, church history. I think it's about 10 volumes. I, I, I remember once I started reading it, I got through about volume six, and uh, Philip Schaff. It's very well written. It's kind of like a novel almost. It, it, it's so interesting. But at any rate, he summarized Paul's execution this way. Shortly after writing these words, the old warrior went to his death. He had been imprisoned with serious criminals in the Mamertine prison. Uh, adjacent to the Roman Forum. It's an obnoxious dungeon, four meters underground by three meters and six meters long. It's reached only by a rope ladder. The air was foul. The sanitation was non-existent. It was cold, damp, and he was lonely. He itemizes the fact that all of his closest followers had left him. They didn't want to be associated with the apostle. He says, even Demas has left me. And all the associates in Asia did depart from him. And uh, only one of them is repeated three times. Only, only one of his statements is repeated three times. Come see me before winter. Wanted, he wanted Timothy to bring him a coat. <laughs> but also he was lonely. So he's dying alone after a life well lived. And yet he's still looking to the Lord. It's over for Paul. He's endured incredible hardship for the service of the gospel. He was beaten with rods, whipped, stoned, and yet he kept on believing. At the end, he can say, I've fought a good fight. I have finished my course. According to a Roman historian uh, named Gaius, Shortly after writing these words, the Apostle Paul was executed. Uh, he was beheaded by the sword. One historian, a guy's name is Eusebius, places his death in 67. Another says it was in 68 AD. The Persians of Nero had begun. It occurred three miles from Rome on a road called the Ostian Way, and there was a little pine glade there, and that's where the Romans took Paul one morning. They marched him there the day before, and he spent the night in a tiny cell, getting ready for his execution the next morning. And we don't know if Luke was allowed to stay with him, because Luke was the only one still there in Rome that was paying attention to him, or if Timothy made it before Winda. But one thing we know for certain, there was no moaning or crying in that cell. If you listen to the noises coming out, it would have been a praising God. So he was sorrowful, yet he says, always rejoicing. Boy, the guy was amazing. Now when the dawn came, the soldiers took Paul to a pillar, the executioner stood ready, stark naked. And they tied Paul's hands to this pillar. 
And first they beat him with rods. And then mercifully, the executioner's sword fell. Um, yeah. So this ends, the, I'm going to read this uh, quote from Philip Schoff now. Here ends the course of the greatest of the apostles, the greatest missionary in the history of the church. It was the heroic career of a warrior who lived for his king and for winning others to obedient service to him. He had labored more abundantly than all the apostles. A few years early, earlier, he confessed, I'm the least of the saints. And shortly before his death, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. His humility grew as he matured and came closer to the end. Philip Schaff goes on to say, Paul had passed through life as an insignificant player on Rome's great stage. He died unnoticed by the mighty and the wise of his age. Yet how infinitely more noble, courageous was his life than the battles of Alexander and Napoleon, who prompted by ambition, absorbed millions of wealth, millions, we, we would say dollars of wealth, uh, only to die of a drunken fit in Babylon, Alexander, or of a broken heart on the Isle of St. Helena. Their empires have long since crumbled to dust. Yet that lonely old man had launched a movement that changed the course of history. So the exhortation here is let's try to be like the apostle. Let's live life with the goal of finishing well. Being able to look back and say, I did it. I fought the fight. I finished what I was supposed to do. And I've kept on believing. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of this wonderful, loving, great man. And Lord, we call upon you to help all of us be more like him. So that we too can look back and say that we have fought and we kept on believing just like he did. In Christ's name, amen.